second reading is from first peter chapter 2 and verses 9 to 12 first peter chapter 2 9 to 12 but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Amen. Well, things are going very smoothly. looks like I've got about 35 minutes. Won't take that long. Uh, let's pray. Father, I just pray that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Do you ever have doubts about your faith? Do you ever wonder if belief in God is real? Do you wonder if God is really concerned for you? Do you ever wonder if the promise of heaven is true? Do you wonder if this is all fake news? I think probably most of us sometimes have those sorts of feelings. It's natural to have doubts. We're only human. And Satan would love us to have doubts. He is the father of all lies. What he did to Adam and Eve, he wants to do to us. Did God really say he wants us to doubt? There were those in... Corinth, who had doubts about the resurrection. And Paul was worried about them, and he wrote to them, and he said, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. I often think about that. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. If he hasn't been raised, we're to be pitied above all men. Well, here's a word of comfort and assurance. Peter wrote to believers scattered through many localities. And he said to them, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. That's the NIV version. In the King James Version, it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Now, do you think you're peculiar? I mean, you're looking at me and there's peculiar. The dictionary defines peculiar as um, different from what is normal or expected, strange, unusual, odd, weird, particular, special, distinctive, different. And when Peter was saying, we are a peculiar people. That's what he meant, special, distinctive, different. Do you feel that way? Here are three peculiar aspects of the Christian life, three things that make the Christian life different, unique. And those three things are its purpose, its power, and its perspective. Firstly, purpose. Being a Christian means your life has a purpose. Many people seem to have no purpose in their lives, no motivation, no meaning. They may be just drifting through life. They may be sinking. Some seem to have a purpose, and they're charging ahead to achieve it. But is it a worthwhile purchase? If you are a believer, your life has a real and definite purpose, whether you're 15 or 50, 16 or 60 or even 18 or 80. No matter what your age, social standing, financial state, health, personal relationships, if you are a Christian, your life has a purpose, a purpose which is peculiar, different, unique. You may well ask, well, what's so different? In 1 Corinthians, we read this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. The purpose of a Christian's life is to be, as it says in Ephesians, to be to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And in Matthew, it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There's some purpose. But, you know, you might say, well, um, but, you know, that's not for every ordinary Christian. That's for ministers and evangelists and missionaries and great preachers and church leaders. Not for just, you know, us ordinary people. Not so. It's for every Christian. James gives us a very simple definition of our purpose. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress 
and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, you don't have to be a great preacher or a missionary or evangelist to do that, do you? Everyone can be a servant. In 1 Corinthians, we read, this then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who've been given a trust must prove faithful. We can be a faithful servant, faithful servants, by praying, by loving, by caring, by giving. Every Christian can do this. In Ephesians it says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What greater purpose could there be? Being a Christian also means your life has power. In Philippians it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, what does that mean exactly? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What does it mean? When I think about that, I carried some baggage from the past. When I was a young Christian, I heard preachers saying things like, claim the power of God. When you're facing a trial or a problem or a difficulty, don't do it in your own strength. Do it in God's strength. I couldn't really work out what they meant. Did they mean some sort of injection of divine strength and power would come and, and solve everything? When our kids were young, they used to watch um, a cartoon about Roger Ramjet. You heard of Roger Ramjet? Yeah. And I wondered whether, you know, this strength, God's strength would be like his, his proton pill. It used to say, I won't sing it. When Roger takes his proton pill, the crooks begin to worry. They can't escape the awful fate of proton's mighty fury. So is having the power of God like that? Does it mean I'll just breeze through trials and temptations and tribulations in some sort of human way by getting some sort of proton burst or something. In Isaiah, it says, but now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Notice it doesn't say we won't be hot. It says when you and I will. How will God be with me though? When I'm sick and feeling down and depressed and thinking I'll never feel better again, how does God help me? How do I face this in his strength? 
Okay, so we need to get a bit of a handle on that baggage that I was carrying around. God's power is there in, in the support and love of family, of Christian friends, in that visit or phone call, in the assurance of their prayers, in your partner's presence with you every day, in a particular portion of Scripture which becomes special to you at the time. God is there giving you the power to just trust him, the power to persevere. In 2 Corinthians, it says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. His power is there to give us hope and trust. Matthew Henry wrote a commentary about 300 years ago, and he said, it is by tribulation that we make an experiment of our own sincerity. It is by tribulation that we make an experiment of our own sincerity. Tribulation tests our sincerity. Do we blame God or do we trust him? Being a Christian also means your life has perspective. What does this mean? I'm not banging the microphone, that wasn't part of it. What does that mean? Square. You're a square. Yeah, no. That was a rectangle. Window? Window? Anyone watch the cricket? Pardon? Mm, yeah. Haven't you ever seen, you know, a cricket game or something where the umpire goes, ah, okay, it's a video replay. Yeah, video replay. Video replays can help the umpire make a decision or stuff up the right decision that he's already made. They can also help you improve your golf swing or your acting. They give a different perspective from which to assess the activity. They give you a chance to make improvements. Without this, you could just keep making the same mistake over and over again. People are able to improve their backswing. Maybe we should be telling Mal about this, shouldn't we? or their business, but often cannot improve their lives. They go on making the same mistakes, for example, in their relationships. However, as Christians, we have the unique opportunity to sort of step out of ourselves and look at our lives from a different perspective. In James, he writes, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Through the scriptures, we have the opportunity to look at ourselves and recognize our mistakes 
and our shortcomings and to make improvements. You know the good old verse, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. Well, it's true. It's a bit like painting a room on a cloudy day. You're longing to get it finished. You get all the coating done and it looks great. And then the sun comes out and you see all the spots you've missed and all those pieces and you think, oh, I'm going to have to do another coat after all. The scriptures are like that. They can light up the different parts of our life that need showing up. The Holy Spirit, through the scriptures, can use, uh, use the scriptures to help us see ourselves from God's perspective. This is something unique. It goes way beyond self-assessment or meditation. To glorify God as Christians, we must take this opportunity. We can't afford to be complacent and say, oh, I'm okay. I'm not the fount of all wisdom. I'm not always right. I need to see myself from a different perspective regularly. In 2 Corinthians, we read, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Listening to a preacher can help, or maybe not. Going to a Bible study can help, but regular personal reading of the Bible is by far the best way of keeping our life in perspective. And I just read the other day about something that Billy Graham said that helps our, our whole Christian thinking, puts it into perspective. Somebody said to him, are you an optimist or a pessimist? And he said, I'm an optimist. And they said, why are you an optimist? And he said, because I've read the last page of the Bible. The life of a believer if you're a believer, your life has purpose, it has power, it has perspective. I think we're singing again.